0: Thanks, Steve. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, I bring greetings from uh, Strandtown Baptist Church, your sister church on the other side of the city. Uh, just to let you know there, will be praying for you uh, this morning. Um, we have been studying the book of John uh, in a recent series. Uh, and so I thought I'd bring this passage to you because in many ways it kind of summarizes some of the big ideas, the big themes uh, of the book. But uh, even at a, a quick read, you'll see that this is no, no easy passage. Uh, so we're gonna pray and ask for God just to help me as I speak uh, and to help us all as we listen. So let's pray together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we ask please for your help now as we read and think about your word together. Give us minds that understand and hearts that are soft and responsive to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, In one memorable episode of the American reality TV show, uh, Undercover Bosses, um, which is now airing on Channel 4 Catch-Up TV, if you really want to, want to watch it. Uh, it focuses uh, one episode uh, on one employee called Jackie Colucci. Uh, she was the, the manager at the, the front desk of what's called Retro Gym, which is a, a, a chain of gyms uh, throughout uh, the United States. Uh, And one fateful day, she was asked to show a new employee, uh, a guy called Barry Gauche. She was given the job of just show him the ropes. Uh, And really for the rest of the episode... Uh, she went on to tell Barry how she did the job, and the first thing that she said was that it's, it's absolutely no problem uh, for me to, and for you to spend most of your time while in this building just to be scrolling on your phone, checking your social media, and taking a few a few selfies near the gym equipment. That's that's totally cool. That's that's fine. Um, she then went on to be incredibly rude and disrespectful to some of the the gym patrons there. Uh, In fact, in a a rant to Barry, she said, the members here, they are literally stupid. They don't know anything. Uh, Not only was she rude to customers, not only was she lazy, uh, but she was also incredibly rude to Barry. Uh, when Barry asked her a simple question why she chose to change the recipe uh, of the, the smoothie that, the, that was offered at the front desk, uh, she went on to say, don't mess with me. You need to be quiet now. Rude, disrespectful, lazy, self-absorbed. Well, classic no one does reality TV quite like the Americans, to be honest. Uh, you have the big musical reveal at the end. Uh, and she's pulled in for the interview. And Barry takes off his wig, takes off the glasses. And Barry is none other than a man called Eric Kasaburi, who is the founder and CEO of Retro Gym. And he gives her an interview at the end where he tells her that she is the worst employee he has ever seen, that she clearly doesn't like the customers, is disrespectful and aggressive, and she will not follow basic instructions. And he fired her on the spot. Well, it's classic TV. But I guess I suppose It is quite symbolic in some ways of what we're reading here because what we see is that her failure to recognize Eric for who he was, her failure to respond to him correctly led to disaster. In many ways, what John is saying in this first introductory passage to his gospel is that he is saying that the ultimate CEO of the universe... Uh, the founder of the universe has come undercover. Uh, he has become one of us. He has left the glory of heaven. He humbled himself and became a man and walked among us. Walked among us. It's there uh, in uh, verse fourteen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he didn't just come among us because he was curious uh, as to what life was like with his employees. No, he's come for an even greater reason than that. He has come to reveal the truth about God to us. That's why he's come. He's come to reveal the truth about God to us. Uh, And as we, for the next few moments, just consider this poetic, profound passage, uh, I just want us to think about three, three ideas, and, and don't worry, we're going to spend the majority of our time on the first one, so if you're looking at your watch and I'm only finished, point number one, don't worry. Um, we're going to see three things. First, God rev- is revealed by the Word. God is revealed by the Word. Second, God is rejected by the world. And then lastly, God can be received by whoever believes in him. First idea then, God is revealed by the word. Don't know if you recognize this dapper gentleman, uh, but Bertrand Russell was one of the greatest atheist philosophers uh, of the 20th century. Uh, And he was once asked the question, look, if you were to die, and you were to discover you were wrong, and you were standing before God Almighty, and he was to ask you, why did you not believe in me? He replied, I would say to God, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. I wonder how you would respond to that reply as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning. I just want us to begin with a thought experiment. Just imagine, just for a moment, that this room is all you've ever known, okay? This room is all you've ever known. Uh, Imagine all the windows and all the doors are blocked up and this this is all you've ever experienced. You've never been out of this room. These people are the only people you've ever met. You've never been outside. And then imagine one morning, one of you says that they've had a dream. You've, I've had a dream and I am convinced there's, there's a whole world outside this room and it's filled with green giants. That's what I'm persuaded. But then you have someone who's very sensible who stands up and says, look, you've never been outside this room. You can't know that. No, all that there is, all that there is, is what we can see and measure and taste and touch. That's all there is. This room is all there is. And the argument goes back and forward until you all hear a banging at the, at the wall. And suddenly a hole appears in the wall. Sorry, a hole appears in the wall. Light shines in and then someone from outside steps in. Well, you see, then only then you, can you know the truth. Then you can know there really is a world out there And I can know the truth about that world if I ask that person, that person. And John is telling us in this passage that that's exactly what God has done. We can know the truth about who he is, about why we're here, about what life is all about because God has come in the person of the Lord Jesus. And he's come uh, in the word. The word, that's the title John uses in this passage, and he tells us four things about this word. First, the word is not just a message, a word. No, it's the word. It's a person, it's a person. We read there, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. The word is a person we can know the truth about God's existence, the truth about his love, because God has sent a person to come and reveal the truth to us. And that person, as we read on down in the little section, we get down to verse 17, we see that that person is none other than Jesus. Jesus is the one who reveals the truth about God to us. We see it there at the end. The, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus reveals the truth to us about God. But then in this little tightly packed section, John tells us three other things about the word. Uh, Why we should listen to him. Why he is the ultimate backstage pass to reveal the truth to us about God. Because the word is not only personal, the word is also eternal, eternal. Now I went through a phase recently of reading lots of um, biographies, Um, And they all kind of have a similar pattern to them, Uh, sporting biographies or biographies of famous celebrities or famous people in history, all have a similar pattern. They all begin by telling you about their parents, their place of birth, their childhood experiences. But notice John doesn't start his biography about Jesus there. He doesn't start his biography about Jesus telling us about Bethlehem in year zero. No, he goes back much, 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 much further. He uses these words, in the beginning, in the beginning. Those are the first words in his biography of Jesus. And if you're a Bible reader, you'll, bells and whistles will be going off in your head because that's how the whole Bible begins. John is saying, when the beginning of the world took place, this word was already there. In the beginning was the Word. You see, all our knowledge is limited because we're limited. There's so many things that we can't know about because they happened before we existed. But that is not true of the Word. That's not true of the Word, because there was a never was a moment when He did not exist. He is eternal. The Word is personal, the Word is eternal. Uh, John continues, verse 1, the Word is divine. The Word is divine. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is supremely qualified to tell us the truth about God because he is none other than the one who created the universe. He is divine he is divine all things were made through him listen to the positive and the negative all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life you see jesus is none other than the uncreated creator he did not need a cre- creator to give him life he is the one who's the life giver and so he is, the ultimately, he is ultimately qualified to tell us the truth about God because he is personal, he is eternal, he is divine. But then he's also, and this is gonna stretch our brains even a little bit, no matter what age you are this morning, he is also distinct. And what I mean by that, the word was with God. Now, that little word with in the original language doesn't just mean standing side by side. It's this idea of being face to face towards someone. And John is telling us here that the word eternally lived in a loving relationship with his father. Verse 18, again, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is who himself is God, as in, is in the closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. He is at the Father's side. Now, how is it that the Son can be God and be with God? Now, at that point, our brains begin to, to scramble. And I freely confess that I do not fully understand how those two ideas can be held together. And yet the Bible unashamedly says that our God, the true and living God, is not just God on his tod, not just a singular person, but God, the true and living God, has always existed In three distinct, but not separate, persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from all eternity have loved and delighted in one another and all equally share the divine nature. Now again, we cannot fully understand this idea, but I actually find that quite reassuring. I think it's quite reassuring that a little creature would not be able to understand an infinite creator. And I actually love the little glimpse we're given of what God is truly like, that love is at the center of the universe, that God is other focused, that he is loving and generous and life giving in his very nature. And I think deep down, we all have an instinctive feel that love and relationships are at the heart of what makes life truly important. And this explains why we have that instinct. The word is personal, eternal, divine, and distinct. But the problem is, And John recognizes this problem. If you go back to my little illustration of the room at the beginning, the big problem is you or I, we weren't in that room when the wall was broken in. We didn't see Jesus, we didn't meet him. We didn't hear his teaching. We didn't see his miracles. So how can we be sure about these radical claims? Is it reasonable to believe that Jesus is the personal, eternal, divine, distinct Son of God. Is that reasonable to believe that? Well, John goes on to tell us that yes, it is perfectly reasonable for us to believe that, even 2000 years later, because of these witnesses, these witnesses, and he has two types of witnesses. First, the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of John the Baptist, there was a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness to the light that we might believe through him. See, John has written this whole book to persuade people like you and me, who weren't there, who didn't see it, didn't see what the Lord Jesus said and did, to persuade us that he is who he claimed to be. And John has given us all the evidence we need because he's given the, he gives us the evidence of these eyewitnesses. Now, John the Baptist was a big deal in the first century. In fact, the historian Josephus uh, talks about him more than he talks about the Lord Jesus. Crowds and crowds, thousands of people flocked to hear John the Baptist. He was the most famous. He was the most respected uh, prophet and preacher of his day. And yet he was someone who pointed to Jesus and said, he is greater than me. And John is saying that this is not just a celebrity endorsement. You know you get lots of celebrity endorsements of various products and other people today. This is not just a celebrity endorsement. Uh, No, John, in fact, Jesus describes John the Baptist as the greatest of the Old Testament prophets because John in many ways summed up the message of the whole of the Old Testament. He summed up all the predictions and all the prophecies by pointing to Jesus and saying, he is the one who will fulfill all those prophecies and all those predictions. And in fact, that should be quite reassuring for us as we think about, can we really trust that Jesus is who he claims to be? John the Baptist would say, look, he fulfilled every prophecy. He fulfilled every prediction. He is who he claimed to be. But then there's a certain, another witness, and that's the apostles themselves. John, the the one of the the 12 himself, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. This is an eyewitness testimony, an eyewitness account. Just like you can only prove someone committed a crime uh, in a court of law if you have witnesses who stand up and confirm what they saw and their testimony agrees. In the same way, we can be sure that Jesus is who he claimed to be because we have the eyewitness testimony of those who were there and who saw it. And the least likely people in all of the, in fact, all of history, who would believe that Jesus, a man was God, would be a first century Jew. They were brought up being taught that there's only one God. And to be convinced that Jesus, the man Jesus is divine, well, that was a bit of a stretch to say the least. And yet after spending three years with this guy and they saw the miracles that he did, healing a blind man, raising Lazarus from the dead, and ultimately coming back from the dead himself, even these guys were convinced that he was who he claimed to be. And they have written down their eyewitness testimony for us. We can know the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about this world, the truth about what life is all about by looking at the person of Jesus. God is revealed by the word. God is revealed by the word. But then we come to a shock. And that is God is rejected by the world. God is rejected by the world. If, you're look, if you've got your Bible open and you glance down at these verses, you'll see that verses 1 through to 9 tell us about the revelation of God, how he reveals the truth about himself through Jesus. And then that, that idea is picked up again in verses 14 to 18, the revelation of God. And in the middle, the jam in the doughnuts, the ham in the ham sandwich, uh, we have... These verses, uh, verses 10 through to, to 13, that tell us how we should respond to this word. And the first shock is that we see in verse 10 is that there are those who reject the word. He came to the world he made, and there are those who don't recognize him. In fact, it gets worse, verse 11. He came to his very own people. Who uh, the Israelite people? Who, in every generation, had a prophet to tell them what God had planned, and yet even they rejected him. Any of you techies out there? Did anyone recognise that man on the screen? Anyone? Anyone want to shout out? No. That is Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive is a Brit, uh, but he made a big splash in the United States, because you are looking at the chief design officer of Apple. That guy's probably had a bigger influence on your life than, than many other people you know uh, more intimately. Uh, he is the genius, um, he is the genius behind the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, it was his designs that were used to to make all those things. And there's a great story of how very recently uh, when he went back to the UK and he went into Apple, uh, the Apple store on Regent Street, and he went in there and not a single employee, not a single customer recognized him. All the while they are playing with the devices that he created. And John tells us that pretty much that, that, that's quite typical of how the, the world actually reacts to God. We enjoy all good, God's good gifts of food and fun and falling in love, all of those wonderful things. We take all of those good gifts and we ignore the giver. We're content to live our lives as if God isn't there and doesn't matter. I... As as a Christian, I suppose we've got so used to living in a world where God is rejected, where Jesus is ignored, where his claims are rejected, where the Bible is dismissed or ridiculed, that maybe it doesn't trouble us in the way that it should. It should grieve us that we live surrounded by people who live as if God isn't there and doesn't matter. John wants to tell us, however, that although many people reject God, live as if he's not there and doesn't matter, he can be received. He can be received by whoever believes in him. And this is the greatest shock in this passage, where John writes these words, but to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the the flesh uh, or the will of man, but of God. Many of us, uh, many people, hopefully not many of us actually, many people, when they think of God, think of him as a, like a tough headmaster who is just waiting to punish those who step out of line or he is a a harsh ruler who doesn't care about his subjects. But here we see in these verses that God is a a life-giving spirit God is a loving father. You see, this wonderful revelation that God gives us of who he really is, his existence and love, isn't just there so that we can answer questions better on the Bible trivia round in the next pub quiz that we go to. No, this information is given to us in order to invite us into a relationship with God. We're invited to come into his very family to know him personally and intimately. Ultimately, the promise here uh, is for everyone. Now, there are those who reject God and everyone is free to do that. God is not gonna twist anyone's arm and force them against their will to come into his family. But John is very clear and very honest as we read on in passages like chapter three of his book, where he'll tell us that all who reject him will ultimately be cut off from God and his goodness and be left in darkness forever. That's what happens to all who reject him, but that need not be the case for any of us. If we receive him and believe in his name, that is if we listen and trust his words and ultimately listen and trust what he did for us, because John is going to go on to tell us of what Jesus wonderfully does. David has already referred to it and used that little illustration. He is going to give himself in order that we can come into his family. Jesus is going to go all the way to the cross, and there he's going to die alone in the darkness. So that we might come into the light. That we might have life. And that we might have friendship with God forever. That's the offer open to everyone. And if you're here, look, I, I, I'm a guest. I don't know all of you. In fact, I know very few of you. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that response yourself. Then I plead with you to do the Christian ABC. It's very simple. The response is very simple. A. A. Admit, admit that you've rejected God and admit your wrongdoing. B, believe, believe Jesus is who he says he is and that he died for you. And C, call out for his mercy and for his forgiveness. And if you do that, you will be welcomed into his family forever. But I guess for most of us in this room, uh, we are already Christians, we're already Christians. So how should we respond? How should we respond to this? I think two things, very simply, and my time is gone. Two, sim- two things. First, worship, worship. Uh, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, uh, and I've uh, recently read uh, the story again of how Lucy comes back to Narnia, Uh, and how she discovers that Aslan, who is the the lion who represents Jesus in C.S. Lewis's stories uh, of Narnia, uh, she says that she thinks that Aslan is bigger. And Aslan says this to Lucy. "'It is because you are older, little one,' he answered. "'Not because you are bigger?' she asked. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me a little bigger. And C.S. Lewis's point is as we grow up as Christians, as we gaze at the brilliance of his glory, as we gaze at the beauty of his grace, he will get a little bigger a little bigger in our minds, a little bigger in our hearts. And that is my prayer for you as a church, that Jesus gets a little bigger for you and that you want to think about him and live for him with greater passion and devotion, that you worship him more. But then lastly, witness. John has written this book To testify to the truth that he has discovered. And whenever you discover a life-changing truth, you've got to share it. Think of a scientist who discovers a breakthrough in in the treatment of some disease. You've got to share it. That's life-changing truth. In the same way, we ought to testify to what we have seen and heard. And the Jesus that we've come to know. Because... God is revealed through the word. God will be rejected by the world, but he can be received by anyone and everyone that you bump into that isn't yet a Christian. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you again for these Admittedly difficult words, these are difficult words, but we thank you for the profound truth that we discover here and rediscover here. We thank you that you did not leave us in the dark. You did not leave us guessing as to what you were like uh, and your plans for the world, but you've revealed the truth to us through the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for his courage, his commitment, his love for us that stretched all the way to the cross. And Father, we rejoice in his salvation. Father, we pray, please, that he would grow bigger in our eyes and that you would give us the courage and the commitment to speak and to testify to him as we go out into this world this week. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.